Well, good afternoon, everyone, and those of you who are joining in the webcast, thank you for, 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 for joining us. Has science disproved the Bible? It's a question that many people have bring to us, and many people would say that uh, the sci science explains everything. It's got an answer for absolutely everything, and therefore the Bible's not relevant. Um, yes or no, true or false, um, that's part of the excursion that we're going to take this afternoon. We're going to have a look to see how dependable is science, uh, and also we're going to look at uh, facts on both sides of this of, of the of the the question um, before we hopefully come to some form of a, a direction and, and a conclusion on our question. Before we go much further, though, I want to just establish some 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 ground rules, uh, some definitions, a, a brief review of scientific method, how science approaches things, and what the what the the, the, uh, the the direction is that a scientist will take uh, when exploring ideas and thoughts. A review of uh, facts, of theories and hypotheses, um, because we just need to get these definitions clear on our minds before we get too carried away with with what science is all about. Science involves all of these things, but so often um, we we may figure that science has got the answer to everything and therefore everything that science says is fact. So let's hold on to, to that as we, we go and have a look first of all at scientific method. And scientific method is really a big process. It's something that goes on continuously. Uh, people will often start and, and it's, don't worry about the small writing uh, up there. It's, not, uh, too, uh, it's too small for you to be able to see but the big thing is it starts off with making observations. People look at things and say, what's happening? What can I see? What is evident in what I see? And, and then start asking interesting questions. You know, the, the who, the what, the when, the why, the how. Uh, how might this have happened? When might it have happened? Uh, and who was involved or, or, or whatever? What causes my observations to come about? Is there any interaction between the things that I see? Uh, and, and so a scientist will then go from what he sees, what evidence he has, to the questions he's been thinking about, to distilling out some key questions that formulate a hypothesis. From that hypothesis, he'll say, how can I test that? How can I make it? How, how can I, how can I de decide if that hypothesis is it true or not? And so he will look for testable uh, predictions. Starting off with his observations, questions that relate to that, how might it have happened? Well, maybe this is a way it happened. Well, how can I prove both what shows it would be that and what shows it couldn't be the other? So there's always two sides to the argument. It's not just trying to prove that what I think is right is right. And I could prove that to you. But what's the proof that the other side, the opposite of what I think, isn't the case? Uh, and so they'll develop testable solutions and gather data from those tests. And sometimes those tests take enormous amounts of effort. Um, you'll have heard of the, the Hadron Collider. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a sink for billions of dollars of money 
uh, all to try and find evidence for some hypotheses that have been developed from observations earlier on. And so scientists will go to a lot of effort to test and gather data for the predictions and also for the other. Can I prove the opposite doesn't happen either? Uh, and that leads to a refining of what they've thought. Sometimes they will reject the idea that they had initially. They well, that's wrong. <laughs> that was a good idea, but it was wrong. Or, that's a good idea. I have got some more evidence to support that idea. Uh, and so this loop goes on, both the small loop here and the bigger loop round the outside that is all about generating bigger theories bigger ideas about how things interact, how things work in this world that we see around us. It's a process that goes on and on and on. But I just want to think about some of the key words that we thought about earlier. There's a scientific method, there's facts, uh, and so we, we'll explore facts. What are they? What are facts? Well, facts are things that are proven beyond doubt. So I can support the positive of what my statement is and I can say that the opposite doesn't happen either. Uh, it's things that we can observe, maybe not always with our eyes, but sometimes with, it, with detailed experiments uh, and, and, and other detectors, but still it's observable. People can set, set their equipment to look at things and events will occur as predicted. Um, they're measurable, they're repeatable. So if you had equipment, you could go and do the same thing. That's what a fact is, something that is proven beyond doubt. Here's an example of how a, um, just looking at these pictures brings to mind you know, Isaac Newton. He saw apples falling off trees. Um, the story goes that he didn't actually get hit by one. Um, but he saw them and he wondered, they're always falling. Is there something that I can do to predict the way that they will fall? And why they fall? And why things fall to the ground? And so he developed his understanding of gravity. That gravity acts on objects and pulls them. Uh, the result of that is that we see them being pulled to the, to the ground. It's on the basis of that developed theory this, the facts are observed, the, the, the theory has been, sorry, the observations have been made, the theory has been developed, and the theory has been worked and reworked, and observations can be made, predictions can be made on the basis of that uh, theory that Newton came up with on gravity, and now we can send rockets up into space using the fundamental theory of gravity. We can send them up there and know exactly where they're going. We can get them free of the Earth's force of gravity and they can go beyond out into the solar system. So all of that developed from, from the observation, the realisation that gra gravity is, is a fact. It becomes an established theory, proven beyond doubt, measurable and repeatable. But theories and hypotheses are just that. Hypotheses are are a thought that's based on a set of observations. So a set of facts, what we can see, a proposal of how to see those these observations interacting or being caused. What's the cause? What's the effect? Uh, and 
if you're a non-scientist, you may actually often refer to them as theories. A scientist will say, well, my original hypothesis, my original thought, I haven't proven anything yet, my original thought is that X causes Y. Now I want to go and find out if that's the case or not. Um, but we as non-scientists might end up saying, well, I've got a theory that that burglary was caused by somebody or other. You know, that's our theory. It's a hypothesis, really, until we gather more facts and more evidence about what, what caused that burglary, um, who was involved, and so on. So a hypothesis is like a theory, um, but a, a, a hypothesis that has some substantiation in facts and observations and further work it can get built into a more general theory, um, like gravity. You know, so Newton thought initially, well, the apple falls, and you could see some relationship between how it fell and the environment it was in. That then got developed with more and more observations into the general theory of, of gravity uh, and how it affects the whole, the whole universe. So we get a model that's consistent with most or, or all available data and with other current theories. And, and I say mo most available data because sometimes a scientist will be on his, on his guard and he'll look at it and see if, it's, if it doesn't satisfy all available data then what's wrong with my theory and how does it need to be developed further? So when we look back at our scientific method, how much of it is fact and how much of it is theory? The whole process that we saw going round there from the, from the top of making observations, well, these are facts. Um, but then when we think of questions, that's theory. When we're formulating our, our hypothesis, that's theory. It's unproven at the moment. Testable predictions based on the theory are still theory. Uh, the observations that we gather from these tests, they become, they, they, these are facts. But how they relate exactly to the theory it is still being worked uh, and refined uh, by the scientist. Uh, and, and so we go around the loop, um, getting facts into theory and getting more facts. But a lot of it, a lot of science is theory. It's not properly established. And we need to be very clear and our thinking as to what we're talking about. Is it something that's provable, that's demonstrable, repeatable, measurable? Or is it something that is an idea of maybe this is how it happened or how it happens? Um, there is a difference in the reliability of the statement. So theories can be disproved. They can, or they can just lie unproven because nobody has found the evidence yet to support them. The theory has been proposed, but it's unproven. Um, and it may be that the observable facts that we have happen to be explained by a theory for many years, but the sensitivity of our me measurements is not enough to show something that's missing. New observations may break a theory. Even after it's been established for some time, there may be enough evidence that's found that says, well, that theory no longer holds because we've found a whole new 
way of looking at things that disproves it. Um, and that happens in science every so often. Uh, alternatively, we may find somebody coming along with different thinking uh, based on the same facts. It leads to new tests uh, and observations uh, and maybe a refinement or disproving of an original theory. So theories are subject to change. Facts are observable and repeatable. That's what I want you to, to hold on to in our thinking. Just one example here of, of, of theory that changed over time. And I'm just going to take one example of the cause of disease. What causes disease? For centuries, um, there was a theory of, and this is not funny, humorism. The humours. Um, not the things that are funny, but the the makeup of the body temperament, as it was stated at the time, uh, it was thought that there were four four humours that made up our, our our bodily temperament, and an imbalance in those would give rise to a disease. So disease was all within. And that's the key thing. Disease was all within. The theory was it was because of um, an imbalance of these four humours. If you want to go look up more about it, you can. But the key thing for us, everything was internally focused. It was the result of our body that we got a disease. Then, a couple of centuries, two or, two or three centuries ago, um, there was a new theory proposed and observations helped uh, to support it. It was called the miasma theory. Uh, and that was that everything ca was caused by bad air. You could smell it. You know, if there was bad air, then it was, there was disease about, and there would be a it would come resulting from that. So bad air coming from rotting, decaying matter, whatever, floating around, and um, the body ingests that, and you get a disease from it. Um, and there was some evidence for that. Cholera epidemics uh, seem to be relate to, to bad sewage systems. Uh, and as a result of those th that thinking and those observations, then people proposed new uh, sewage systems, took sewage away for, instead of being open sewers in the streets. Uh, there was a lot of working and, and piping of sewage away from, uh, from houses and where people were dwelling. And, and things like cholera took a dip. And yet... That miasma theory is something that is no longer held to in terms of disease, what causes disease uh, and, and gives us diseases. Because we now understand, or the model is, that, that microbes or germs are the things that are carried about, transmitted, uh, that bring disease from one body to another. Um, and so both of these things changed the theory from humorism theory, which was all internal, so just our body, imbalanced, and therefore it gets out of balance and therefore we get a disease. The theories changed to being external agents, whether it was the bad air or the more detailed, more refined uh, microbial germ theory um, that becomes an external agent acting on our body uh, and we therefore get the disease. So it's more directly related to the type of germ. This is the detail here. This was very general here. 
but coming down here, the, the theory from the observations that were made, being made, um, the theory changed to being an external germ could cause a particular um, a disease in, uh, in our body. And so this has become the accepted mechanism. Um, many of the details of the findings that they had couldn't be explained under the miasma theory. So we see science develops over time. Understanding develops over time. And theories can either be adapted or they can be completely thrown out. So... Facts and scientific facts that they're verifiable. Uh, theories are created by looking at facts and making assumptions uh, that might explain events uh, and then looking for tests that support or refute the theory. And successful theories are, are the ones that are the best explanation of the facts. It's not always changing that's throwing out the old. Sometimes it's refining the old theories, moving on and establishing more detail. Um, I don't want to go into too much science on, on that. Just to try and grasp the, the concepts. The theories change uh, over time, either by developing and enhancing the detail or by being thrown out and replaced by something that better fits the facts. Let's then go and look at, we read Genesis chapter 1 uh, at the beginning, and that's the creation story in the Bible. I want to look at science just now, first of all, and, and look at the, 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 the Big Bang Theory. And, and let's look at what's fact and what's theory within that. So, the facts that are observed that have given rise to the Big Bang Theory are that Light from distant galaxies is redder than the sun. Um, what that means is the wavelength is longer. Um, stuff is going away fast. It is going away from us, and a bit like the Nino that goes. Nino, 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 Nino. So that the, the sound drops as a, an ambulance or a fire engine passes us. The wavelength gets longer. It gets, in light terms, it gets redder. Uh, and so it's observed that light that comes from distant galaxies is redder than the light that exists in our uh, galaxy, in our, uh, around our sun. And so the proposition is that that means it's going away from us. Light from the distant galaxies is redder than the sun. But that's, that's the observation. Okay, everything else that I've said is the theory. Another item that, that is, is observable and repeatable, again, back to our facts, they're observable, they're repeatable, they're measurable. Space tele telescopes can detect cosmic microwave background radiation. So stick them up in space and you can detect uh, cosmic radiation, very low level of it, it's, but it's humming around there, if you like. It's a, it's, a, it's a general background noise, as the scientists would say, although not a noise that we can hear. Um, they observe that. 
They use that and fact number one in building their theory. Another observation that we have is that in the universe, we can detect different elements, so hydrogen, helium, carbon, oxygen, all, all, all the chemical elements. Can you recite your periodic table? Nope, nope. I can't remember it either. Uh, did it one time, no most of it, but then they've found even heavier elements now. But all the ones at the beginning of the table, they're the most easily found in the universe. Um, the one, as they get heavier and heavier, you find less and less of them. That is an observable, repeatable fact. Scientists can go out and find that and measure it in different places and they'll still get um, overall this picture. And when looking at the, the, sky, ab the sky above us, around us, uh, with very uh, powerful telescopes, uh, it, it appears that galaxies are spread fairly evenly around us. On the theory side, that leads to scientists proposing that the universe is expanding. The light source is moving away. We talked about that with the, 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 the light from other galaxies being redder than the light from our own galaxy. Um, the background radiation is, is, is thought to be the remains of a big bang. So you get an explosion you get a sound, and like thunder, the closer you are to the centre, to, to the source of the thunder, to the lightning strike, the louder it is. As you get further and further away, you hear less and less of it. So this cosmic microwave background radiation is seen to be the rumblings that keep on going after that big bang. The model also hypothesizes that heavier elements are built up from the lighter elements, lighter building blocks, so hydrogen, helium. Um, we know that in nuclear reactors you can combine these and you can get hydrogen combined to give you helium and energy is given off. Um, so that model is proposed consistent with the, within the Big Bang theory to say that heavier elements, no matter how far out the periodic table you go, they get built up uh, from these original building blocks uh, as time goes on, as other processes happen. Um, again, all being theorised. Um, the, 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 the spread of material through the universe, again, is consistent with a big bang. And, and so goes the theory. But you can see, when we look at the facts... They are basic statements. The theory is something that is much wider and more involved and um, is subject to, to, to more questions. We can ask more questions about it. Um, can we go back and prove it? Can we go back in time to see that that's actually what happened? No, we can only make observations as of now. So in the Big Bang, there are big assumptions being made. And primarily, these are that the, the physical laws uh, that we observe today, so the speed at which things move, how they interact, um, all Newton's laws of, of motion and everything else, those have never changed. Um, can we prove that? 
well, we can't go back in time. We can go forward in time. We can't go back in time. Um, so there's a big question there over the assumption. Uh, we can't prove it. Um, physical laws, again, an assumption. Are they consistent throughout the universe? We haven't been able to confirm that yet either because we can't go everywhere in the universe. But it's an assumption uh, that's built in, in, in science, in, in theories. Also, the, 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 the red sh shift in light is, is caused by a source moving away from us. That may or may not be the case. There may be another reason for that happening. Um, it may be that our, the light in our universe is, is particularly um, blue compared to the, the light in other universes. They're just the way they are. Um, but how do you prove that? How do you prove the, the assumption here either? Uh, so when we're looking at the theories that are put up by man, we have to remember what are facts and what are theories. Okay, we've spoken about not being able to go back in time. Um, because we're dealing with the Bible and science, science, pure science in itself would tell that uh, evolution is the way things happened. And that's an explanation of how things have happened. Um, it's true also to say that many scientists are Christians who believe God, believe in a God, believe the Bible. Um, but what we want to do is just consider the theory and the facts uh, within what's proposed as, as evolution uh, it, that's taught generally, uh, communicated generally in the media. General theory, gradual change over long time periods from simple to complex life. What evidence do we have for that? What can we see? What observations can we make? Um, well, one fact that is there is that uh, we have a fossil record that we understand helps us to go back in time, look back in time. When we look at the fossil record, there the, the don't seem to be any transitional features or functions. Anything that's found is already fully formed. Um, some people have uh, proposed there, I can't even remember how to, how to spell that, to, to pronounce this one, Archaeopteryx, uh, a sort of reptile-like bird uh, had been found in, uh, in fossils. But when looking at the detail, all the functional parts of it are fully formed, as we see in any reptile or as we see any bird. So the, the, the beak, the mouth, is fully formed uh, as a reptilian mouth. Uh, the rest of the, of the animal is fully capable of flight. So is it transitional or is it just an extinct animal um, that we don't see in the world today? And the, it's interesting to see that uh, an observation on uh, the, the introduction to a rewrite, an update of Darwin's Origin of Species. Uh, a professor, Steve Jones of University College in London, uh, writing it in that update, said that the fossil record, in defiance of Darwin's whole idea of gradual change, often makes great leaps from one form to the next. Far from the display of intermediaries uh, to be expected from slow advance through natural selection, many species appear without warning. 
they persist in fixed form and disappear, leaving no descendants. Geology assuredly does not reveal any finely, any finely graduated organic chain, and this is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against the theory of evolution. So the current facts in the fossil record dispute the gradual evolution of life from simple forms to complex forms. Within living beings, what else can we see? What we can see as we look around that animals can be grouped uh, based on similar features. Horses, zebras, donkeys, whatever. Uh, dogs, wolves, so on. Uh, and they can be classified that way. And we can see within each species, we can see variation. Um, classic examples of that, the finches as observed by Darwin, many different types of finch, types of beak, and there seem to be observation of adaptation within the species. Um, within species, within dogs, we know that we can breed different types of dogs. And those two facts lead to a theory in evolution that much bigger changes can happen, given time, supporting the evolution of simple to complex life. But we've already just seen that one of the facts that we can observe, the observations that we can make in the fossil record, um, they don't uphold this idea at all. So there's a jump from the facts that are seen to a very much wider, more complex theory and saying that it's trying to treat it as fact, when in, in reality there appears to be little information to support it. There is, of course, um, an alternative explanation, which could be that all these similarities are clever, based on clever building blocks for life that an intelligent designer has taken. You know, at a simple level, we might think of Lego, very simple building blocks. But think of Legoland. Think of the, the number of objects, number of items and moving objects that can be created out of Lego and how different they look at the macro level. But they're all based on little building blocks. Could it not be the same as an alternative explanation of the facts that we see that there is an intelligent designer behind those similarities and allowing those changes within species? What about life's building blocks? Talking of Lego, talking of building blocks, what about the cell? Um, the cell pictured here uh, is a very, very small item, but it's very, very complex. It's been suggested that it's a bit like a city in itself. It's got all sorts of systems in it, all different specialised tasks being done within it and all having routes and byways interconnecting these different areas whether it be an information and control centre, a, a power station or energy production site, a waste disposal site, 
place for chemical processing or chemical storage. Whatever it is, all these areas are contained within a cell. And every cell has the same features. Everyone required for survival of the cell. Any one part not there, the cell dies. And it's interesting how the membranes work. All this, The membranes in certain places allow very specific chemicals to pass through at certain times. And so the inputs and the outputs to each area are controlled uh, by gateways on the edge of the cell, uh, edge, edge of the areas within the cell. Tremendously complex. As we say, there are over 20 areas within a cell. Without any one of them, the cell would not survive. How then can that happen with gradual change? How did that building block appear in life? You know, it's all or nothing. Is evolution the correct theory for the way life has come to us? Let's go and consider then the Bible and the world around us. We read Genesis 1 together. I'm not going to read it again, but if you'd like to read it for yourself again, then please do. But what I would like to point out um, are what are the statements that are made in the Bible? What is it telling us and what's it not telling us? Remember that the Bible was written a long time before modern science books. And so we're not going to expect to see the language of modern science uh, in the Bible. But let's look at the way the statements are made. First of all, right, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we get a beginning. There's a start. A st there was nothing and then there was something. There was a beginning. And in the beginning, the earth was covered in water. And so we're looking at the earth as part of the, the in specific uh, detail. The earth was covered in water. Uh, and, and then the next details we find in verses 3 to 5, we get light and darkness, we get day and night. Okay, so we've got a sense of the presence and the absence of light uh, and periods that have that being called uh, day for light and night without light. Then in verses 6 to 9, next stage we get is that land appears from water. Then trees, plants and vegetation are put on the land. They appear, it says. And then we get a little bit more detail of what's going on on the earth. Um, there are lights in the sky given and appointed for seasons, for days and for years. Uh, and so we get the introduction of, uh, of, of time around us and the variation in time. In verse 20, life fills the seas and the air spaces. So animals in the sea, animals, birds in the sky, uh, all of that uh, is, is, is brought about. Another step change being seen. And finally, in verses 24 to 26, there's land creatures and mankind uh, come on the scene. 
What I want you to note about all of these things is it's a statement of what happened. Not how it happened. Oh yes, it says God created. But it doesn't tell us how God created it. So we're getting statements of what happened, not how. We're introduced to a time period of six days. Six days, and you, you can you can look in your Bibles, uh, and most times we have it uh, as as a literal day. Sometimes it's a, as a usage, it's the, the the word for day is used as a period of longer time. At the same time, I've got to be true to the the statements that we get, and say there's a refinement in the Genesis one record that this says that the evening and the morning were the first day. So there can be different views over what that actually means when it says six days. But we have statements of what happened in sequence in different time periods. Stated in Genesis 1 as being days. And what we have to ask ourselves is, having looked at what we have, is there a conflict between these things and science, the facts of science? If we look at observable facts from science, as we saw earlier, um, there's a red shift in light from far away. Light coming from a far away place, it's red shifted compared to light close to us. Background radiation in the, in the universe exists, and so these are, again, remember the observable facts that fully functional animals are what's presented to us in the fossil record, no intermediates, and we have the knowledge that a cell is, a very, is very complex, always appearing in complete form. These are the observable facts from science. What about the statements we have in the Bible? It tells us there was a beginning. It tells us that at one stage earth was covered in water. And it tells us that life of all forms appeared in stages. First plants, then the sea and air creatures, then the land creatures and mankind. Now you might say, well, is there any relationship between these? There's no direct relationship between these. But some of these Bible statements may fit in with some of the Big Bang theory or other scientific theories. But what we can't say is that science contradicts these because the facts of science don't contradict any of the Bible statements that we see in Genesis chapter 1. And I've got another big question that we have to ask ourselves Where were you? Where was I when everything happened? Can we make bold, big statements about what happened because we were there? There was somebody else in the Bible that wanted to challenge the thinking of God. You know, many times we say that scientists today are challenging the thinking that there is a God. 
Well, there's a man in the Bible who thought he could challenge or, or at least ask God some hard questions and maybe get some answers. His name was Job. Um, you might want to turn to it because it's rather small on the, the screen in front of you. It's in Job chapter 38. Job was a man who thought he could ask God questions. He could challenge the thinking of God and try to understand what was going on. And towards the end of his book, the record of Job, uh, chapter 38, we have God making a statement to Job. And one of the first things he says in the, the beginning of the chapter, um, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who's confusing the issue with the things that you think and you don't really understand what's going on? That may be a paraphrase of what God was saying to Job. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? Who, who measured it? To what were, were the foundations fastened? Or, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or, or who shut up in the sea? Uh, who shut up in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors? When I set and the chapter goes on, and and, and God goes on speaking to Job, challenging him um, for for four chapters. There's four chapters that you can go on reading as God lays question upon question on Job to say, do you really know? Were you really there? How can you presume to challenge me in your thinking because of what you see now? And just think about those words at the beginning of the chapter again in chapter 38. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Um, God knows so much more than we know is the claim that we find in the Bible. And, and this is reflected here. Well, it's interesting to see what Job's position was. He was a man who was, he was intelligent, who was thoughtful and everything else. And he listened to the challenge from God. And he responded to God after hearing all what God had to say to him. And the answer is in chapter 42 and verses 1 to 6. And Job's answer is simply this. I know that you can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked. Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore yeah, I understand. I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me. Which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes see you. Therefore, 
I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Effectively, Job is saying, I, I, I can't answer you. There is no answer. Because what you have stated, everything that you've stated is right. My knowledge is so limited. And I know, says Job, that you, God, are a righteous God. And you will do what is right. So where does that leave us? We've seen that there... I believe there is no contradiction between science and the Bible when we look at facts and when we consider theories in the right light. The Bible gives us a statement that God wants us to understand. Scientific theories are not facts. They have the basis of facts, but they are mixed with assumptions or extrapolations, and care has to be taken in expressing trust in them. That's interesting. Care has to be taken in expressing trust in them. Now, trust is faith. Someone who believes in something happening that they cannot prove, has to express faith in that. In accepting what God has said in the Bible is true, we have faith. Many people who follow science and evolution and the, 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 all the theories of evolution are expressing a faith in that thing that has been created in our own minds the theories have been thought up in our minds and somebody is expressing faith in those things just an interesting aside theories are not facts they may be overturned in future as, as uh, new facts are identified and understood as we said where facts are properly understood I don't think there's any conflict between the Bible and science. The Bible isn't a scientific textbook. It explains what happened, but not how. Now, it's not my place today to go into the explanation of how we can trust the Bible. That will be answered further into our series of uh, Life's Big Question talks in, in this room and podcasts that will be given uh, based on these talks. And I would invite you to, to consider those as we move forward, that the Bible can be trusted. We can put our faith in God. He has told us what was done, what was created for a purpose, and that we can have a part in it. Um, there's a bigger thing to look forward to in the Bible than there is in evolution. And I would put it to you that it's worth looking further at life's big questions to find the answers in God's word, the Bible.